We are FBC Summit, leading everyday people to love Jesus and make Him known. Thank you so much for joining us today. Here's our pastor, Dr. Larry LeBlanc. Through worship, the Lord allows us glimpses, glimpses into eternity. And one of the more beautiful glimpses that we're given in Scripture and through the song that we just sang is that forever in the heavenlies there will be a song that is cried out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth shall be full of His glory, and we are never more like what we will be eternally than when we are worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm so glad you're here this morning. Would you look at somebody that's sitting beside you today and tell them, say, you look good today. That's enough. That, that, they don't look that good. They don't look that good. Um, but, but you do. You look well-rested today. You look like you had an extra hour of sleep last night. You look fired up, ready to be here, and so I am glad that you're here. If you have your Bibles, would you join me in taking them and turning again Colossians chapter 3. We're going to be in verses 5 through 11. Colossians chapter 3 this morning we continue our journey together verses 5 through 11 we're talking about this morning what it means what it looks like to be out with the old and in with the new and as you well know how we dress really it helps people to understand a lot about us in fact what we place on our bodies communicates a ton of things about who we are sometimes even when it comes down to specific uniforms i'll give you for instance if somebody had come in here this morning and they were dressed like an umpire and they had just sat down and acted like it was absolutely no big deal, immediately you would have had a thought. You'd have thought either they're nuts or they don't know where they are or they don't know how to dress appropriately for the occasion. If you were this afternoon, say you were doing a little bit of grocery shopping and, and you walked into Walmart or wherever you choose to do your grocery shopping and you looked down the aisle and you saw someone that was completely head to toe in formal attire, tiara, they had all of the makeup done, the hair, but you saw them pushing the buggy and they were just going down the frozen food section picking out a pizza. You'd look and you'd say, there's something odd about this. This doesn't fit. I know all the time because sometimes if people that, that aren't used to seeing me a lot outside of church, it always throws me off because I can't figure out what they're talking about. But if I'm somewhere and I have like a pair of shorts on and a baseball cap, people will look at me and they'll say, Brother Larry, what are you doing? And I say, I don't know. What, what are you doing? Um, I don't have any idea because the, I think sometimes there are people that, that maybe they don't run into me regularly. They think I just dress like this all the time because this is the work attire work outfit but what we wear what we put on shows a lot about who we are it can show our identity it can show our profession it certainly can shows our it can show people our cho chosen style so when we're talking about what it looks like to look like a christian what it looks like to dress like a christian we're talking about more than clothing but what is it that we put on when we put on the new man or the new woman? When we're out with the old and in with the new, what are characteristics that a saved person, that, the, that a born-again believer should look like? As we've been walking through Colossians together, 
you remember that the first two chapters are very deeply doctrinal, they're deeply theological. And then we began a transition last week in chapter 3, and last week we talked about what it meant to have the right focus, about what it meant to focus on things above, not things of this earth. And, and we were told that we are citizens of a different kingdom, that we have been made right with God, that we are hidden with Christ, and so that because of that, we are to spend more time focusing on what God has for us then rather than the things of the here and now. Well, Paul continues to flesh out, if we do that, what that's going to look like. Because there's some things that we have to put off and some things that we have to put on if we are going to look like, to dress like kingdom citizens, people that are children of God. What does a born-again believer actually look like? Let's discover that together as we stand together today and we read Colossians chapter 3. I'll be, we'll begin together in verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the, way, in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge in the image of the Creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Lord, teach us today that salvation demands taking off the old and putting on the new. Lord, I pray today that you would show us what it looks like to take off the sinful lifestyles that characterized us when we were lost and what it would look like to put on a righteous lifestyle that characterizes us as your children. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. And that is our big idea as you look on the screen this morning is that salvation demands taking off the old and putting on the new. Specifically, the Bible tells us that there are two ways that that has to happen. Number one, we're going to look at verses 5 through 9 together today. Number one, take off the old sinful lifestyle that characterizes unbelievers. Take off the old sinful lifestyle that characterizes unbelievers. You see in, in verse 3, we've pointed this out over and over again, but in verse 3 you, said, you see where it says, put to death therefore. We've come to a conclusion that Paul is about to make, and he is saying, since you've been raised with Christ, since you have a new identity, since your citizenship is in heaven, since you're hidden with Christ in God, since you're born again, since you're redeemed, since you're justified, since you're forgiven, since you are adopted, all of those words help us to understand what we are once we got saved. I once was lost, but now I am found. I was blind, but now I see. There was a former me and now there is the present me that is the redeemed me or the justified me or the forgiven me and since believers share in the death the burial and the resurrection of Christ that means we are hidden with Christ in God and we will one day be revealed in glory so for Paul that means that if that's our new identity that there's a calling on our life and that life that the calling is that instead of looking like a child of wrath which is who we were before we got saved. Everyone that does not know Christ is a child of wrath. 
The Bible makes it very clear that we are either a child of God or we are a child of Satan. You're either redeemed or unredeemed. You're either saved or you are lost. You are either justified before a holy God or you are unjustified. You are either going to heaven or you are going to hell. And the Bible says that the wrath of God is on all of those who don't believe. So the Bible is calling us very clearly then, if you are not a child of wrath, that means you are a child of God, then your life should look like a a child of God's life, and that should flesh itself out. We act like the citizens of heaven. But the Bible tells us that we're already citizens of of heaven. The Bible tells us that we already died with Christ, verse 3. If we already died with Christ, then why do we have to put sin to death? That's the reality of practically living out our lives. Let me ask you this, and this is just for those who have given their life to Christ. If you're listening today or you're here today and you're not a believer, we can talk about that, but this question is simply for believers. For those of you who stand today with no doubt you're standing in God, How many of you still struggle with sin? How many of you still fall to temptation? How many of you still have things in your life that you recognize that God's not done with you yet? How many of you know that there are specific sins in your life that you struggle with more than others? How many of you know that even though you've been delivered, it still seems like sometimes it's three steps forward and two steps back? How many of you know what I'm talking about? Hopefully all of you. I hope there's no one in here who would say, no, I'm saved and I don't struggle anymore. But then the question exists for all of us. If we're saved, if we've been rescued from the dominion of darkness and put into the dominion of light, then why is it that if we've already been raised with Christ in God, why is it that we, that struggle still exists? Why do we have to continue to put sin to death? The Bible says that we died to sin's penalty. Now understand the difference here. What is the penalty of sin? Romans says, for the wages of sin is death. So we died to sin's penalty. So if you're a believer, it means that the penalty of sin cannot be enacted on you anymore because Jesus took that penalty. Jesus took what you deserved. But just because the penalty has been taken away, that doesn't mean that sin's power has been taken away completely over your life. Now, when will sin's power be taken away completely in your life? One of two ways, either by death or by rapture, you will no longer deal with sin. But until either death or rapture occurs, you are stuck in a body of flesh. And the Bible tells us that the body is weak. The Bible also tells us that we live in a fallen world where sin is all around us. And the Bible also tells us that this world is the dominion of the prince of darkness or the father of lies who is known as Satan himself. So what that means is, is that even though I have died to sin's penalty, I have not died to sin's ability in my life to continually tempt me and my flesh is weak. So I'm called then to continually fight. Even though salvation is by grace alone through faith alone, it does not mean that it does not require me to continue to seek out holiness in my life. Now, to seek out holiness means that I have to be committed in my life to the full understanding that I have to work at it, right? We don't earn our salvation by work, but we have to work. 
Paul said in Philippians, continue to work out your salvation. Here we are told that holiness is not going to be gained by you getting saved and then saying, you know what, I'm done. I'm just going to let go and let God. And what will happen is what has happened in a lot of people's lives. They've refused to work at holiness and sin owns their life. And so what Paul does in the next few verses is he calls out a sample list of sins or a common list of sins to help people to understand and look into their life and say, if these things are still present in your life, it's that you are allowing sin to have domination in your life when Christ wants to have domination in your life. You see, Jesus made it really clear, Luke 9, 23. He said to take up your cross and do what? Follow me. You all know that verse. But the issue with taking up your cross is really not about a one-time thing. That's not just when you get saved. Certainly you take up your cross when you get saved, but it's a daily dying to self. And what Jesus recognized is even believers are going to struggle because he knew that some sins were going to have to absolutely be cut off at the root, which is why he said, if your right eye causes you to sin, what should you do? Pluck it out. If your right hand causes you to sin, you should cut it off what is jesus calling for he's saying if you look into your life and you see unconfessed unrepented sin that is taking dominion over your life you should take whatever measures you can because you would rather be holy you would rather be in right relationship with god with confessed sin and repented sin than you had be out of a relationship with god because you loved your sin more than you loved your god now Here's the specific list of sins, and if you've read down them, you're probably already going, oh man. Watch what he says. When he tells us that we are not to belong to our earthly nature, which exists of sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. That's the first list that he shares. When he says sexual immorality, the Greek word there is the word porneia. It's the word we get pornography, where, where that term derives. And sexual immorality anywhere throughout Scripture, I, I, I want to make this very clear because it's actually very, very simple. All throughout Scripture, what is sexual immorality? Sexual immorality is any sexual activity that takes place outside of a hetero sexual marriage between a man and a woman that sexual immorality any homosexual sex or heterosexual sex that takes place outside of marriage any form of pornography any form of lust that falls under the category of sexual immorality and what paul is simply saying he's writing to an oversexed colossian culture and the biblical sexual values were so different than they were in the rest of the first century, even in comparison to other religions, that it was countercultural. Well, we need to hear this today if any cultures ever needed to hear it. We are the most oversexed culture that has ever existed. Every time we turn around, we see that we are being inundated with it. With the advent of the internet, with the advent of cell phones, with the advent of marketing, what we know is that it, it is everywhere. Did you know that the average nine-year-old, the average nine-year-old has taken in more sexually explicit images than my grandparents did before they died? That's the world we live in. So what does that tell me? 
It sounds like, well, if it's that bad, we ought to give up. No. We just make it really clear that it's a war. And it's a war over the souls of men and women because what we know is that it's impossible to be given over to the lust of the flesh and sexual immorality and be focused on the person and work of Christ. So, first of all, what we're calling out here is sexual immorality. Then he says impurity. That's a general term for evil or lustful thoughts. And then he uses the word lust and evil desire. This is sexual passion that is let loose in the body that started in the mind. What Paul is helping them to understand is that every form of sexual immorality, every form of lust, every bit of it starts in the mind. It is the battlefield of the mind. And if Jesus made it clear that if your right hand causes you to sin, you ought to cut it off, and your right eye causes you to sin, you ought to pluck it out, then we take and apply it to exactly what's taking place here. Now hold on a minute before you get too far. Here's what the call on our life is. To do absolutely everything we can do to keep a pure mind and pure lives before a holy God. Now, I recognize that it is difficult. I recognize that it is hard. I recognize that there is such a problem in the world in which we live that it's almost that we throw our hands up and we say, is there any way to avoid it? we got to find a way. And if it means that we need to change our entertainment or change our social media intake or change the filters or change what it is that we do, but we've got to be able to have pure minds in a wicked and depraved world. And so Paul calls them, even, even going as far as saying greed, which is idolatry. Now, it seems like that's a strange to put at the end of this list, but it's the last one he lists because what he understands is that greed is the root of all evil. It's an insatiable desire to have more, more, more. It's at the root of every sexual sin as well. It's the reason why people that do have pornography addictions, why it gets out of control, because the desire becomes like a god. It becomes insatiable to, to not only intake more, but for the extremity of it to get more and more and more. And, and we need to understand that when we're calling out to young people and old people alike, that sexual purity is not some antiquated form. When we say that true love waits, the church needs to do a far better job of explaining when we say what, what biblical sexual values, what we're talking about. Because I fear that far too often when the subject of sexual morality comes up or immorality comes up or a biblical sexual ethic, that the church almost seems like that they resign themselves to be, well, we're a people who are anti-sex. So I ask, I'm just asking, is the church anti-sex? Listen to me. The most pro-sex organization in the world is the church of Jesus Christ. Now, if that seems odd to you, let me explain to you why. Because the pornographers and the websites and the entertainers, they are not the ones who created sex. God did. And after he did, he looked up and he said, and it, everything was good. God had a design. And we need to be a people who aren't just people that say no, no, no. 
but people that say the reason that we're calling you to this is because in God's plan for a married man and a married woman, it is the most incredible and beautiful thing that God gave them as a gift. And when we, when we help people to understand that, it's not just what we're against, it's about what we're for. And so Paul makes it very, very clear that, that not only is it sexual immorality that's taking place in people's life that shouldn't characterize or that shouldn't dress the life of a believer, but then he goes even further and, and look at what else he, he lists. He lists anger and rage and malice and slander and filthy language and lying. So, so we've gone from sexual immorality to now we look deep inside the heart and, and, and we look towards people's attitudes or towards people's life and, and, and the way that they carry out their temper, the way that they carry out their thought life, the way that they interact with other people. Now, anger, you know what that is. That's a deep, resentful bitterness. And if you follow the logic that Paul uses, if someone has an anger problem and that goes unchecked, what does an anger problem turn into? An anger problem will turn into a rage problem. The difference in anger and rage is anger is an emotion I feel. Rage is an outburst of that anger. So if I have anger and I have rage, eventually that will also manifest itself into malice and slander that is trying to hurt other people with your words and eventually into filthy language and it will cause people also to become liars. The Bible says that Satan is the father of lies. If we are people who practice telling untruths, we're acting like our father. Now, we know that God is truth and that truth is all that is in him. So the Bible tells us that not only is our language important, but our language having flown out from our heart. So if I understand that my anger and my rage is coming out of a place in which the way that I behave is not characterizing, I'm not dressed like a person who is saved, then I need to look deep into my heart. So I just want to be very real and very honest this morning. How many of you could honestly say, first of all, I've got a problem in my mind. My sexual thought life is us. It's sinful. The things I think about, the things I intake, are unacceptable before a holy God. Secondly, are there people in here that could look into their life and say, I've got a real issue with anger? Some of it stems with some stuff that's happened in the past, but I've got some deep resentments. I've got some bitterness. It expresses itself sometimes in the way I have outbursts of anger and I rage against people. And I've just kind of told people that they just kind of had to put up with it, that that's kind of just how I am. But I'm seeing now that maybe that's from, from a place that that shouldn't characterize my life. Maybe when you look at your day-to-day -day life, and you look at the words that come out of your mouth, you'd say, you know what, I don't know that that's exactly what I'd want to be known for. I'm not saying that a believer is never going to slip and say a word that they shouldn't say. But if you're a believer and you are filthy-mouthed, and you cuss out of the same mouth that you praise Jesus with, and you gossip out of the same mouth that you lift up his praises to, there is something terribly wrong in your spiritual walk. Because out of the mouth, the heart speaks. So Paul is simply saying, if you're saved, if you're born again, if you're justified, 
that ought to flesh itself out in the behavior and the way in which we think and the way in which we live. You see, he, he makes that point in verses 6 and 7 because, because watch what he says. He says, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in this, these ways in the life you once lived. He says, sin, sin brings the wrath of God. Children of God should not desire the thoughts and behaviors of those who will feel the wrath of God. Don't act like a child of wrath. You've been delivered from wrath. You've been saved from wrath. So why would I want to go back and live a life that looks like I was still under the wrath of God? We take off the old sinful lifestyle that characterizes unbelievers. And number two, we put on a new righteous lifestyle that characterizes believers. Look at verses 10 and 12. Put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. The new righteous lifestyle that characterizes believers. It means a constant renewal is taking place, that we are constantly putting on this new life. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says that inwardly we are being renewed day by day so that a new relationship is developing with God all of the time. And so that because of that, that's what we call being sanctified. When we are justified, that means we're made right with God. When we are glorified, that means we'll be in God's presence completely in heaven. In between justification and glorification, we have this word sanctification. That sanctification means that day by day that there's a renewal that ought to look more like Christ. Specifically, he's listed these sins to help us to understand some things. First off, in your sexual ethic, in the lust of your mind, in the thoughts of your flesh, do you see that you're becoming more like Christ? In your attitudes, in your anger, in your bitterness, in your rage, in your temper, in your language, can you see over the course of your life that you're becoming more like Christ? It doesn't mean that there's not going to be an off day or even an off week, but over the trajectory of your life, it ought to be that you're seeing that you desire to become more like Christ because you are continually being sanctified. And when I'm sanctified, not only does it change my relationship with God, but it also changes my relationship with other people. Do you notice in the last verse that it talked about that there is no Greek or Jew or circumcised or uncircumcised or barbarian or Scythian or slave or free? What he's talking about there is simply this, that once I'm saved, that people that are my brothers and sisters in Christ, that we are all equal before the cross of Christ. Meaning that socioeconomic barriers have no bearing, cultural barriers, racial barriers, none of that matters anymore. And that the people that I'm closest to ought to be those that are brothers and sisters in Christ. Meaning that I have more in common with a brother and sister in Christ who is on the other side of the world than I do somebody in my own town that does not know Christ as Savior. And so when we understand what it looks like in our lives that salvation means taking off the old, well, that means in the way that I practically live out my life, in the way that I think, in the way that I express myself, but it also has to do with the way that I relate to other people as well. If you've truly been justified, if you've truly been born again, then you need to know that even though that, you, that death's penalty, that sin's penalty has been removed, you need to also know that the battle for holiness is still being fought in every 
single Christian's life. Now, I know what some of you may be thinking. You don't know what I'm dealing with. You don't know what I'm struggling with. You don't know how hard it is. First of all, can we all just be honest? It is a flat-out war and struggle for every single one of us. It's a war. But it is a war that not only is worth fighting, but it is a war that can be won. And the reason I know that is the Bible says, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. The Bible tells us that no temptation has come upon you except that which is common to man. It means the Lord can lift you up, but what it also means is that if you're serious about your relationship with God, then you're going to be serious about starving certain things in your life. We feed what we want to grow. If you look into your life and you see that sexual immorality, pornography, relationships, extramarital sex, affairs, what you intake into your mind, if you can honestly before the Lord look and say, I've got some, a problem, then today something needs to change. But it's not going to change by magic. It's going to change because you look into your heart and say some things need to change. I need to do some things different. I need to starve what it is that's killing me. I need to starve what it is that's causing a problem. When you look into your heart and you say, I've got an issue with anger and rage and malice. I've got an issue with my tongue and I've got an issue with gossip. And you've got to say, you know what, I've got to look into my life and recognize maybe it is that I need to take some radical steps either with the people in my life or the places I'm going or the things that I'm doing or what I'm engaged in, but something's got to change. So first off, we have to make some radical changes on that end. But secondly, we need to feed what we want to grow. And if you want your life with Christ to expand and to grow and you want a greater degree of holiness, it's going to be because you feed that nature. And there's only a few ways for us to understand how we feed that. Number one, I need to replace some people in my life that are negative, some people in my life who are trying to cause me to go the opposite direction of the way the Lord wants me to go with people in my life that value the things of Jesus. Number two, I need to be sure that I'm focused on things that are holy and healthy. I need to try to intake things into my mind that are giving godly and holy thoughts instead of the rest. I need to be a person that not only intakes scripture, but engages in conversation, that engages in praise and places people around me where I'm feeding what it is I want to grow. And then first and foremost, you've got to be willing to come before the Lord and be honest enough to say, God, I've got a problem and you know I've got a problem. But you also know that there's no way that I'm going to be able to defeat this without your help and without your power. So I'm bowing before you now, Lord Jesus, and I'm asking you to help me. And I'm asking you to help me today. Would you stand with me? Lord, we stand before you today thankful that you're a God who delivers from sin. I'm thankful for the cross and I'm thankful for the power of the blood. I'm thankful that it is only because of you and through you that we have any hope at all. Lord, I'm thankful for the new life that we have in you. And I'm thankful, Lord Jesus, that we are able to clothe ourselves in righteousness. Lord, I pray that our lives... Lord, would match up to the profession that we have. Lord, that when people see us, Lord, that we would look like your children. And so, God, I pray that a spirit of honesty would come upon us today, that a spirit of confession and repentance as we look into our life and recognize, Lord, that we all know that we have a long way to go, that we need your help, but that we're not going to take the first step if you don't help us to identify it, Lord, 
and recognize that there are issues in our life, that there are problems in our life, that there are pitfalls in our life. So God, I pray for a spirit of courage and a spirit of obedience. God, I pray for a humble recognition today and a willingness to seek you as Savior. Lord Jesus, if there's someone today who has not been rescued from the penalty of death, may they run to you as Savior. If there's someone who needs a church home to help them as they continue in their journey to holiness, may they feel welcome here today. And Lord, maybe there are believers who simply today recognize they have a conviction of their sin and there's things that need to change. Lord, may it start today by the power of your Holy Spirit. May it be recognized, confessed, repented. And Lord, may you be glorified in it. In Jesus' name, amen.